So I have some listener mail and some questions. So I have a correction. Okay. In the last episode, I said that the aircraft involved in FedEx 705 was retired to Roswell, New Mexico. Okay. Well, I had a listener correct me, and I appreciate that because I like to be accurate. That aircraft was actually taken to Victorville, California, which is oh, in the Mojave okay. Desert. Got it. Just a small correction. And I had a they question. They normally retire planes to deserts, right? They do. Yeah. yeah. And I had a question from listener from one of my listeners, George Clever. He says, "Have the security procedures to ride on the jump seat of a cargo plane changed since FedEx 705?" Oh, I'm curious about that as well. So the short answer is no. They changed to basic screening as Mm -hmm. a result of 9-11. So he couldn't bring his weapons on. Well. I mean, some of his weapons were like just tools of life. Tools, but you still wouldn't be able to bring those through today. But this can include basic x-ray screening, but not always. I reached out to another pilot or I'm sorry, a UPS pilot who mm-hmm. wants to be wishes to remain unnamed okay. because UPS does not screen their <gasps> pilots at all or their jump seaters. FedEx no. only screens their jump seaters and their pilots at home stations. Oh, so when they're out in Montgomery, Alabama or whatever, right. they're going back to the airplane. They're not getting screened. That's wild yes. to me. So I said, how do you ensure your safety? He said, we grill the jump seater. This is the only safety we have. That's not okay. You're basically giving your pilots the role of security. Right. So, But only if they care about their own security. So I think what George is really asking is, could this happen again? The resounding answer is absolutely Absolutely. it could. There is a slightly smaller chance. Well, you have to think about it a little bit more because you have to go know what airline and what yeah what places to. have screening and what Can't don't just be but anything any pilot any pilot with your credentials with proper pilot credentials could go list on a jump seat from outstation fedex or ups to other to outstation other outstation or wherever they're going and bring whatever the fuck they want yeah and that is the reality and honestly fedex and ups need to fix it. That's horrifying, honestly. Because how do you keep somebody from turning that into another uh, 9-11? There are over 400 million guns in this country. That is a huge problem. It is. Huge problem. On the FedEx one from your last episode... He was going to 9-11 that into the FedEx building. Yeah. So if anybody in Congress or Senate is listening, like this is actually a security risk and y'all yeah. need to close up that gap. Oh my God. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. Well, I hope everyone sleeps well tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Inside the Aluminum Tube. This podcast has adult language and sometimes contains graphic descriptions of accidents and incidents often resulting in death. If you're scared to fly, proceed with caution. Sir, are your pants meowing? Yeah, you interested? Pull up. No, the plane is about to crash. Wind shear. You're looking a little anxious, Kent. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Increase climb. Only if you really need me to. Threw his clothes off, had an accident, got his tree, and went night-night. 50, 40. Oh, so like some dumb bro shit. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. 30, 20, 10. Clear of conflict. 
Welcome back. This is an aviation history podcast, which... which <laughs> do you need me to do it? Welcome back inside the aluminum tube. That was terrible. My that's name is That's not how it goes Baker. at all. Listen, that's not how... It... You wouldn't give me the computer. Let me try. No. You're Permi- no fun. Permission to treat the co-host as hostile. Permission granted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, welcome back. This is an aviation history podcast, which looks at events in aviation history like air disasters, accidents, incidents, mishaps, and just crazy stuff that's happened over the years. I'm here to bring you the stories and maybe provide a little insight. My name is Shannon Baker. I'm your host and the creator of this podcast. If you want to see pictures uh, of the events and enhance your experience, you should follow me on Instagram at AluminumTube. You can also mail me your ideas. Email me your ideas at AluminumTubePodcast at gmail.com. Visit my podcast at ALTubePodcast.com or AluminumTubePodcast.com. And there you can listen to episodes, join my Patreon, and read about the co-hosts. Please tell your friends about the about this show because that helps a lot and that's how podcasts grow so if you want to see pictures that i post about the episodes you can find them on instagram both in the carefully labeled story highlights and often in the gallery but if you've listened to other episodes you already know that i have a co-host who is not an aviation expert and their role is to ask questions that will help you better understand what actually happened so today my co-host is mary hall Hello. And it's been a while since we recorded together, Mary. Hi, Shannon. Any updates? Oh, just a few. So go ahead and fill us in. Some pretty big ones happen. In order, I guess you could say, had some cosmetic tourism in Turkey. That's correct. And what I, is it? Medical tourism. M- medical tourism. Yeah, and I got my hair completely redone. You look great. Thank you. We got engaged. I know you announced that on your Instagram. Yes, I did. And right now I'm working a job and moving. And in a few months, we'll be planning a wedding. Yep. Other than that, nothing crazy. And you're definitely right about the podcast spreading just through word of mouth. I started that new job that I mentioned. And I told a lot of people at work about your podcast. And I came in one day and the the, office team was all they were like listening to your podcast together like oh that's they awesome synchronized pressing play so they could all listen to it together shout out to the office girlies yeah. that, that's actually a, that's amazing to hear yeah i'm glad that i can like bring some entertainment to the lives of some dreary workers in a warehouse somewhere i'm kidding <laughs> i mean it's practically a warehouse but they thankfully are in the temperature controlled office space yeah yeah and they're great too yes. i met them they're all very sweet so that's a lot of updates. Yeah, and a lot of them included you, which that's true. Yeah, you're, at first I know your podcast listeners didn't know that we were together for Kinda a long time. To yeah, keep a mystery to that, but I even think I told you you should keep it mysterious because yeah, then for all a while. the all the internet people could have crushes on you. They could still have crushes on you. Oh I yeah, don't totally. Care. I get fine. it. Yeah, I have a crush. I'm on glad you. you get it. I'm glad you get it. That's nice. <laughs> It's nice to know that my fiance has a uh, positive feelings for me. Um, most of the time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into the story, though. I'm so excited. Like you said, it's been a while. I think the last time we recorded was fall because we recorded that spooky season episode. That's right. We did. It was November. I had to take a break for a while. 
That, I know. That's what I, I, t- I took like I took like five months off, and now my goal is to record once a month. I think that's a great goal. So my goal is to just get one episode a month just because I really love it, but it is overwhelming and it takes me a long time to write these and produce them. So I know your last episode with James, didn't you say it was like almost a dozen pages long? It was. Yeah. And this That's, one is this one is this one is the same. This yeah. one is like 13 pages. So they take takes time. That's why the episodes are so good. Okay, but you wouldn't want to do it if if it was just half baked information. So you've done one episode that was like a history episode and the rest of them have just been like an event. Like yeah. an accident or incident. I've done I remember my first one was the first class passenger. That's, that's right. a good play. That's when I always tell people to start that's with if two, they have airplane really, issues and, and they're scared of flying. That's episode two. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Then the next episode I worked on, I definitely don't tell people to listen no, to don't if start they with have that scared. One. Don't start with that one. Are scared of flying. But that is a really uh, impactful we to, episode. That's episode four. And we have to cover those really tragic ones and of course. like you know it's it, it runs the gamut sometimes it's interesting and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's just absolutely tragic i recorded an episode about tenerife yeah. which was really hard for me to record right i had to take some pauses in there for like emotional breaks of and that's course. episode 31 so that was we had to do that with episode four as we well we did i had I to have you read a portion read. yeah yeah that was really hard I tell people listen to listen to episode five because it's short, and if they like it, go to episode twenty because five will draw you in. Yes, and it's quick. And that one was picked up by a production company for a pilot that never happened because that right. company sold a pilot, and then Paramount canceled that. Okay, well, let's get into the episode. Okay, <gasps> yeah. So summer is here. And it's that time of year to lay out in the backyard, maybe by the pool, get some sun on those pale legs of yours. Hey, yesterday was our first day, like above 85. All right, so. So we really are just getting into summer. Hopefully going to go lay out later today. Okay, so close your eyes for a second and picture mm. you laying out by the pool. Ooh. Uh, what are you sipping? Oh, my God. Obviously a pina colada, but like preferably with Hennessy in it. Hennessy colada. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, it's hot, hot. On June 30th of 2019, in the afternoon, a resident. Wait, in a- wait. That was just like a couple of years ago. Like, it. it's the f- fourth today. So yeah, it's the fourth of July today of 2023. Through four years and three and a few just days a couple ago. Days. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So- Have we ever had a, an episode this recent? Um, I don't think so. No, I don't. I think this is the most recent one. Okay. Oh, interesting. So on June 30th of 2019 in the afternoon, a resident in a London neighborhood just north of Heathrow Airport was doing just that, laying out and getting some sun. And God knows, listen, I've been to London so much, you really got to get the sun when the sun shines. When it's there, exactly. Oh, absolutely. So she's laying in her garden where just 15 minutes before her kids had been playing. So as she lay there with her eyes closed... She mm, oh suddenly, yeah, Pina Colada, eyes closed. She suddenly heard a sound that she described as a loud whoomp, and she was splashed with something cold. What? Looking up, she realized that she was covered in blood, <gasps> and an object 
that had fallen from the sky was laying near her, and it was a body. Oh, my God. I'm clutching my pearls that I'm not wearing. A few moments before... Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Why was the blood cold? Well... We're going to learn. A few moments before this happened, Kenyan Airways Flight 100, a 787, had come from Nairobi, Kenya. They had just passed overhead, and it lowered its landing gear before touching down, as airplanes do. (gasps) Uh Uh-huh. A neighbor heard the sound of the whoomp and the subsequent screams, and that neighbor looked out from his upstairs window, saw the body, and, quote, blood all over the garden. So I went outside, and it was just then the neighbor came out, and she was very shaken. Came out from her, like, from her back house. garden. Yeah. Do you know what a plane spotter is? No. Okay, let's talk about plane spotting for a second. Plane spotting is a hobby of, like, watching airplanes and aircraft movements. Like bird watching? Kind of like that. At an airport, um, generally, plane spotters are also aviation enthusiasts, kind of in a broad sense. Right. Teenagers, they can be passengers, sometimes they're pilots. As for plane spotting itself, some enjoy taking pictures or videos of the airplanes. Sometimes they like write down the registration numbers and they track airplanes and see where they go and see where they fly and oh, how long yeah. they sit. That could I could see that being really interesting because I know on at least some airplane applications you can see where your airplane's coming from and yeah. what it's done that day. And I find that really interesting. Well, some people like to like travel around to different airports in the world and take pictures of the airport with the airplanes landing so plane spotters will sit like at the end of the runway or like if you live near an airport you can like watch the airplanes fly over can you sit at the end of a runway you can on the other side of the fence oh lots of people do okay so i I used to live in savannah and there's like a spot near the Mm -hmm. runway where everybody just pulls off on the other side of the the fence and sits and watches the airplanes fly over you know it feels kind of like what people would do back in the early 1900s, late 18, because like there, there was, was nothing, nothing going, else on. going on. Like <laughs> we've, we are both fans of the Dollop podcast. And a lot of the times the crazy hit- historical events, they'll talk about mobs of people showing up to a bridge opening because it's like this first amazing giant bridge that Or even to like across. watch somebody who's supposed to be able to tear phone books or something. When they've had the first rail car in Manhattan, it went one block. It was constantly busy. It was people just getting right. on and off to go one block because they had never seen an underground subway before. So it kind of reminds me of that. So it can be a broad hobby, but it always includes watching airplanes in some sense. Okay. Well, a plane spotter had been tracking this plane and watched it come overhead. He had seen the body fall from the wheel well of the 787 as it passed over. You said lowered the landing gear and I was, I think I gasped because I was like, oh no, that's where he was. He went to search for the body and he arrived at the residence where the body had fallen about the same time the police had shown up. Wow. The spotter was key because he knew which airplane it was. He wasn't like, oh, it was a white and blue one he actually knew the flight number yeah he watched it come from nairobi so the police important and really like yes key that was very this guy just so happened to have done that that so the local police called over to london heathrow and they inspected the 787 in the wheel well they discovered a bag with some clothes some frozen water and some food hmm 
this they also found a a soft drink bottle. Yeah. And that is kind of key to understanding where the person came from. Totally, because even like Coca-Cola in Great Britain it had so much less sugar in it because they have sugar tax and stuff. So well, they're also marked as to well, like, you know, where, where they from. come from. Yeah. Well, I the, had to get more logistical about it. Well, the body was mostly intact, despite That's the extreme... shocking blunt, to me that it was intact. Extreme blunt trauma because it was nearly frozen through. So we know from the evidence that sometime early in the AM that day, this man climbed into the wheel well of Kenyan Airways 100, which again is a Boeing 787, with his gear... He intended to to leave Nairobi, Kenya, yeah, and climb out of the wheel well at Heathrow. Okay, he was going to get out and live life in London. That's this is far from the only incident of its kind. Back in 1997, a body of a teenage man was found hanging in the nose wheel bay of a British Airways 747 that had flown from Nairobi to London Gatwick, which is another airport in London, and the aircraft landed. Both on- of these from Nairobi? Uh huh. The aircraft huh. landed on Thursday, on Thursday, and the body was found by maintenance personnel on Sunday. Is that a coincidence? That they both came from Nairobi? Mm-hmm. It is. That's crazy that that's just a coincidence. But if you haven't gathered, today we are talking about wheel well stowaways. I... And I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions. I thought we were maybe just going to focus on this one guy, but I'm excited to hear more. Okay, so let's start... Way back at the beginning, the first known stowaway on an aircraft. <gasps> Can I guess? Can I guess the year? Yeah, go ahead. Try to guess the year. I'm going to guess somewhere in the 30s. It's really close. So June 12th, 1929. <gasps> that was really close because I was, good, I was thinking guess. like get away maybe from some war or I don't know what. Well, listen to the story. It's okay. not... Anything what you think it is. So on <laughs> June 12th, 1929, a French plane named Yellowbird. French plane named Yellowbird? Yellowbird. That's Was adorable. attempting to set a world record and was in an air race with an, air, with an American plane called Green Flash. Okay. The two planes took off from Old Orchard Beach, Maine. Okay. Yellowbird was heading for Paris and Green Flash was heading for Rome. Are those equidistance? They're not that far off. Okay. And there's the two airplanes. And that picture will be on the Instagram. I'm always uh, telling everyone on these episodes to follow the Instagram. It's always adds so much to the story. Okay. And I love how they have them like decorated with the names. Yeah, I know. Isn't that cool? It's very, I want to say patriotic. It kind of is because it's like you're fighting, like you're representing your country, but you're also representing yourself. But it's also like... They're very proud. Well, this was reported on June 13th of 1929. The Daily Banner, which is a small newspaper from Greencastle, Indiana, said, quote, After Yellowbird had taken off on its proposed flight to Paris today, reports spread that an 18-year-old stowaway was aboard the craft. It was not immediately possible to confirm the rumor. Two Portland youths, and they're talking about Portland, Maine. Yeah. Robert Drew and Raymond Lapointe said that their chum, Alexander Jordan, chum. had secreted, this is still a quote, had secreted himself in Yellowbird's cabin and had not been discovered before the takeoff. Persons connected, I should read this in my 30s announcer voice. Mm-hmm. 
Persons connected with the, with the flight <laughs> doubted the rumor, pointing out that the radio operator sits in the cabin and that it would be nearly impossible for anyone to conceal himself in any part of the craft. I was going to say, if you go to the Instagram and look at those planes, they're tiny. They are tiny. And you, like you just said in your amazing 30s voice, by the way. I love it. There are two people. You have the person flying, but then you have to have the... There's actually three people on these oh, airplanes. Oh, there's three. Have, there's three on each airplane. So there really is no room there's for There's no room, and they're small away. airplanes. So and where you, are you going to hide? You said 18-year-old? That's what it said initially. So it's not even some little tiny kid. No. That could like ball up somewhere. Soon after this article, the Decatur Daily Democrat from June 14th, 1929, said that the man's name was actually Arthur Schreiber, a 22-year-old. Hmm. A friend of his had delivered a letter to Mr. and Mrs. Schreiber with the instructions, quote, do not open until three hours after the, after the departure of the green flash for Rome. That doesn't give it away at all. No, that, you know, you think his parents are going to wait? I don't mm-hmm. think so. Okay, so this is also a quote. The letter, which the parents said was in their son's handwriting, read, Dear parents, I am attempting to go across on the airship green flash. If I succeed in getting on, do not worry for me. Well, the thing to... Do not worry for me. I'm going to attempt to go across the Atlantic on an airplane. Don't, Don't worry. The Decatur Daily Democrat. When young Schreiber did not return home last night, his parents said they were convinced he was aboard Yellowbird. His mother appeared nervous and worried, but she exclaimed, God will save my boy. Well, listen to this. Arthur had, in fact, attempted to board Green Flash and had intended to stow away by hiding in the tail of the aircraft, but he couldn't fit. Especially even 22, you're you're even more grown. So he changed his plans and he got on Yellowbird, (gasps) where he hid as best he could. Arthur was actually seen getting into Yellowbird by the press and onlookers, but the crew were not at the aircraft yet, and so the people just thought Arthur was part of the crew. Oh my God, that's hysterical. They're like, oh, he's just checking on the that they have everything they need, or oh, he's the first one here. So these aircraft are pretty small, and they don't account for increased weight. So not oh, accounting no. for the increased weight, Yellowbird took off after a much longer than expected ground roll, right? The takeoff roll. They turned out over the ocean. They barely cleared the waves and the breakwater, but they made it. Green Flash, on the other hand, the airplane he didn't board, crashed on takeoff. Really? Shearing the landing (gasps) gear and prop. They lost the race to the French, but no one died. And here's a picture. Oh, good. Nobody died in that. No. The plane is fully there. They literally like, it looks like they bounced and and just went like boop. Something happened, yeah. I booped that too. (laughs) The yellow bird keep going or? Yep. Wow. So so back on the yellow bird, approximately 20 minutes into the flight, the crew noticed a pair of shoes poking (laughs) out from the rear fuselage where there was a cloth between the interior and the tail. Oh my god, no way. I was literally about to say that reminds me when like shoes are poking out from a curtain. That is literally what, what happened. That's what it was. That's hysterical. To their dismay, Aww. they pulled the curtain back and it was the stowaway Arthur. Arthur. Now the crew 
was not happy at all. No. They hadn't planned. Number one, they hadn't planned for the extra weight. Because that would take up gas, too. So then you're like running the gamut of, are we going to make it over the water? Absolutely. So they told Arthur that the green flash had crashed. So he was happy he wasn't on it. But he wasn't out of the woods just yet. For an hour, the crew of Yellowbird debated on how to handle the stowaway. Throw him off. They considered <laughs> they considered flying back, cruising low over the beach, and pushing him into the ocean <laughs> where he could be rescued. But Damn. They, but they decided they didn't have enough fuel for that. So for a little while, they were just going to push him out. <gasps> and that's over I the was open just ocean. kidding. The dude would be dead. He would totally be dead. But they decided, this is the crew's quote, Murder was not in the plan. Oh, my God. Thankfully. Fuck. I mean, also, you know you're already going to win because the other one crashed. If they knew that, it's not like... They didn't know. They had radios, so... We got to keep going. We don't want to lose. So, eventually, they decided to dump the equivalent of Arthur's weight in, get this, fur coat, whiskey, and other provisions. Fuck you, Arthur. We got to get rid of our whiskey. <laughs> Fucking bitch. Why do they have whiskey? I just... I'm so right, I, I didn't even think about that. I'm like, you're fucking flying a plane that's holding up your life. Don't drink. Don't drink. <laughs> you're not supposed whiskey. to drink and like ride a bicycle. Like, don't drink and ride a plane on a fucking race. Well, they made him sign a release forbidding him from claiming any money or fame and agreeing to not hold them liable should he die. Fair, because he did it to himself. Yep. Well, stowaway Arthur and the crew didn't die, but Yellowbird didn't make it to Paris due to navigational errors. They landed safely in very northern Spain near the French border on a beach in the middle of the night with only a few gallons of fuel left (gasps) in their tanks. They'd flown for over 27 hours. Holy shit. And they couldn't even get drunk. (laughs) I mean, imagine going 27 hours without getting drunk. Come on. And they were transported by truck to France. This 22-year-old is stuck in Europe. What do you do? Well, he didn't stay in France. They put him on a steamer and he returned to the US. Okay. He didn't get any money, but he did become famous for one thing, being the first stowaway on an airplane. However, he did it in the cabin, which is an entirely different experience than a wheel well stowaway. Oh, absolutely. But these planes didn't have wheel wells. They just had wheels. That they just had wheels hanging out yeah. the bottom, right. So the first wheel well stowaways bird sit on the wheel for a while. And they also flew really slow and low. Yeah. So like you could feasibly hang on to the wheel well to the wheel and True. Like live. But I mean, you're not gonna take off because somebody's gonna see you. Right. Well, the first wheel well stowaways we know about happened on piston-powered propeller airplanes, and it's no coincidence that the, emergen- that the emergence of wheel well stowaways corresponds with the emergence of retractable landing gear. Yep. Somebody else- could run out last minute, like go in a different entrance, like climb up through that way with- well, not everybody- and not go through where people are loading in bags. Well, not everybody can hide like Arthur with his shoes sticking out. I know nobody's a, not everyone's a cartoon uh, <laughs> a burglar. Cartoon, I know exactly. So with this type of landing gear, which hides away for better aerodynamics, which meant which meant more speed and fuel savings, right. it creates a place in the body or the fuselage of the aircraft where the wheels get tucked and often covered with a smooth panel. This creates quite a good place to hide, so the ground personnel don't see you, 
And it gives you a perceived, quote, safe spot. I'm doing air quotes here. Mm. To rest while the flight is in progress. But make no mistake, this isn't a safe spot at all. No. And we are going to cover all the reasons as to why it's not safe as we go through the episode. I have a question. Yeah. I've never really thought about the layout of underneath the plane. I would imagine almost like a trunk of a car, the wheels aren't in that same compartment. They're not. Luggage. No. There's a movie at one point that shows like the wheels coming down and there's like holes below them. It's right. like an I action like movie. I feel like I've seen that. Yeah. No, that's not at all the case. Even in He's, even he, in old airplanes, that was okay. never the case. They never shared an it, open space with baggage. There was almost a middle There's a middle section, correct. I wanted to visualize this better. So let's look at one of these wheel well stowaways. I know. I The first one you told me ended so poorly. I'm like, I can't believe there's more. Oh, so many. So uh. in, ni- ni- in 1946, an orphaned 12-year-old boy named Boss Wee decided he didn't want to live in uh, Kupang, Indonesia, where he worked in the airport catering kitchen. He thought that Darwin, Australia, would be a better spot for him. He's 12. So I guess it's time to strike out on his own. 12-year-old logic there. Yeah, exactly. It's time to, you know, know, back in the 40s, you're 12. It's time to go get a job. You're almost middle-aged at that point. Exactly. Anyway, he hid in the wheel well of a Douglas DC-3 and I'm going to show you. And I'm going to show you the pictures. Oh, okay. So it's bigger. How big would you say the wheel well was? Do you have that information? Because I have a, it, and I will show you pictures of it. Okay, good. Okay. Because he's a kid, so that doesn't look like a tiny plane. Well, this is particularly challenging because this airplane has no gear doors. You'd oh, have shit. to you'd have to hang on the landing gear for takeoff and landing, and avoid being crushed as the tire presses up into the wing okay Yeesh. and i'm gonna show you here's another picture so okay have a look at the landing gear now look how the landing <gasps> gear stows so these Where are on the instagram be? i have absolutely no idea how big is that wheel would you say probably three Six? and uh, no probably about three to four feet fully i'm looking at this wheel and i literally don't understand how you would hold on no idea so he stowed away on a plane to Australia. How long is that flight? It's, it's about four hours. Okay. Because he had lived through the Japanese occupation of Indonesia during mm-hmm. World War II, and he remembered the kindness of the Australian soldiers who gave him, quote, beef and sweets. Oh. He flew for 515 miles, 800, 830 kilometers, which took roughly three and a half hours. Wow. Now, he lived. Yeah. But barely. He was discovered in the wheel well after the plane landing. His shoulder was sliced to the bone and he was <gasps> burned from the exhaust while other spots of his body had frostbite. Oh, my God. Talk about a yin and yang. Yeah. Half your body is burned and and run raw to the bone. And then the other half is dead from ice. Holy fuck. Okay, so he was taken to the hospital where he was stabilized, and then then he was placed in line to be deported due to the how shitty you go through all of that. You <laughs> thankfully uh, Australia has healthcare, or maybe they did at the time, and he they wouldn't did, have to pay but... for all of 
but you have to go through that healing process. Which they I'm had sure uh, they had healthcare at the time, but here's what they probably did lost have. a few fingers and toes, maybe a half your nose. They did have a policy called the White Australia policy. I don't. I need more information. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the immigration. It was an immigration restriction act, and it was one of the first that the Commonwealth passed after Australia gained its independence from England. Okay. The aim of the law was to stop non-whites, particularly Asians, from immigrating to Australia to help keep Australia, quote, British or, you know, white. So listen, See, I wanted, we can't have a history podcast without racism. I wanted to not judge the name before I got the information, but I kind of figured that was yeah. what the name had to do, what well, the name had to do with. So the newspapers got a hold of the incident and hundreds of families offered to adopt him. Oh. Due to the public pressure, he was granted a pardon from the prime minister. Um. And he was pardoned from the law due to his age and the fact that he was an orphan. Mm. I said that, right? I said he was yes, an orphan. Yes. Okay. I've Both his parents forgot. had died in World War II. Mm. He was adopt so he was adopt so he was granted a pardon. He was adopted into an Australian family. He was put in school where he got along well. He naturalized as a citizen in nineteen fifty four. And ten years after the harrowing flight, he got married and he started a family. Oh. And they still live in Australia. I'm not over the shoulder down to the bone thing. And I know that was like two paragraphs ago, but I don't know if I'm going to be over it for the rest of the day. Okay. Do you just have like a missing lump of your shoulder from now on? No idea. And so in the earth, God, so here's to, he's like, he got to like live a full life after that, which is wild. So in the early days of aviation, stowaways stood a better chance of survival. And the first few stowaways, high up, yeah, right? they tended to live with injuries, of course. But they were typically alive. Some of these were well publicized. A few reasons, like we just mentioned, is that early on aircraft had extra space allotted mm-hmm. in the old airframe designs, and they left more room for the landing gear. They did this to accommodate variations in tires. So there okay. wasn't necessarily a specific tire manufacturer. Yeah. So there was a, some variation in in tires right early runways were sometimes not paved so they left room for mud and debris and snow that may get thrown up into the wheel well because you still want the aircraft to operate if there's dirt for you don't want just a couple inches of space and then a rocket a rocket and and then you can't you can't get the wheel up or it gets jammed so they left a little extra space however many survived mainly because the aircraft weren't pressurized and they didn't climb as high, typically up to just 8,000 feet or so, right. where people can still breathe without oxygen masks. And although it's cold enough to kill you, if you are prepared, you can tolerate it. I Like you said, the, the 12-year-old, I feel like any longer and he would have probably died. Because it's at a certain point, if you get frostbite and, and burns, oh, yes. you're not going to be able to hold on anymore. For sure. I hope you like physics. We're going to do a lot of physics today. So that leads us into a discussion about atmospheric conditions. So we'll talk about how that affects humans. So the very first thing we have to talk about is how the Earth's atmosphere is made up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we're talking about We phys- really are getting into we're really physics, get, We're huh? going to get down into physics today. We're also going to talk about physiology, so how the human body works. So there is so much... W- Never what? mind. 
There is so much more to Earth's atmosphere than what we breathe. I did know that. A trip from the Earth surface. Most... What? Isn't it mostly nitrogen? We're getting there. Okay. So a trip from the Earth's surface to outer space would result in passing through five different layers, each with significantly different characteristics. The top of the atmosphere blends into space at around 10,000 kilometers mm-hmm. or 6,200 miles. But when we talk about airplanes, we are dealing with the close Earth atmosphere from the surface to about eight miles or 13 kilometers. This is called... 35,000 feet? This is called the troposphere. Like the first like up to like maybe 45,000. Yeah. You that, just hear 35, 36 so often oh, th- in these stories. Right. And that's called the troposphere. And about 80% of the atmosphere of all the gases that are contained in the earth l- exist in that layer. I feel like I, I'm getting flashbacks to my middle school science classroom right now. In lo- the best way. I love it. So we live in this layer. This is where we fly. And honestly, like the troposphere is what we call Earth. Right. The other layers of the atmosphere are not really recognizable to humans. Right. We can't use them. No. But at about... It's like where weather happens and shit. N- not even weather happens. Oh, it yeah. It all happens in the troposphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Then there's a small divider. Where the, like protection happens. Yes. That's what Then I there's a small divider called the tropopause Mm -hmm. and that's where the troposphere blends into the stratosphere Mm. that's as far that's about as far as aviation goes other than spacecraft and there are only a few airplanes that can fly into the stratosphere their military aircraft the namely the u-2 which is a spy plane and the sr-71 which is a retired military jet do you remember that guy that jumped from the stratosphere stratosphere. in a balloon i was gonna say i remember that yeah i couldn't remember what part of the atmosphere he jumped from the stratosphere but he did it in a spacesuit and i know and we're gonna he had to right we're about to figure out why so those two airplanes the u2 and sr-71 they're for later episodes but anyway the majority of the majority of all those gases namely oxygen and nitrogen that's what we call air they exist below fifteen thousand feet right so that's like the 80% of the 80%. Which is why people who climb Mount Everest has to bring oxygen with them because your body can only survive for a couple minutes at that height. Right. So once we, as delicate humans, enter that thin air, the pressure at which that air is applied to our lungs becomes insufficient to press the air into our blood. This begins happening around 10,000 feet where we start getting insufficient oxygen extends in an extent to about 30,000 feet. People say the air is too thin, quote unquote, but that's not really the whole story. While the particles are not grouped as tightly together, it's really the air pressure that becomes insufficient, Mm. both to press the air into our lungs, but also, and here's where it gets scary, to keep the air, mainly the nitrogen in the air, dissolved in our blood. Nitrogen is suspended in our blood. So what does that mean for us, right? Well, it means that that at around 30,000 feet or so, atmospheric pressure becomes too low, and the nitrogen in our blood can start to come out of suspension, essentially in like what we would consider boiling, causing what we call Mm altitude-induced decompression sickness, which is a fancy way of saying that nitrogen starts fizzing in our blood like a soda, coalescing into larger 
bubbles inside mm-hmm. of us. I knew that because I've heard of people talk about what would happen if a human w- just was dropped into space. Right. It can cause a whole lot of issues. These bubbles collect under the skin, causing visible mm-hmm. bubbles like blisters. But the bubbles can collect inside of us too, in oh, our lungs. God, you had to give me this In our one. blood. When the larger bubbles like get together, Ugh. they can get lodged in our heart and in our brains, <gasps> and it can cause heart it's attack sh- and stroke. Like a stroke, yeah. yeah. So in the lower altitudes, under 25,000 feet, a human would suffer hypoxia, which is yeah. lack of oxygen, and eventually die. Although, it may take a while. While Ugh. once we get above 25,000 feet, hypoxia, which is lack of oxygen, is still a risk, but what we call embolism becomes a greater risk and can cause n- near immediate unconsciousness and sudden death. Remind me what... I recognize that word, but... Embolism. Yeah, remind me what that, that means is. that there is... Essentially, our heart becomes unprimed. Okay. So it's an area of a bubble that mm. gets lodged somewhere, and then our blood and body doesn't work correctly. Ugh. I don't okay. like body stuff. There's a lot of body stuff going on there right is. now. So it when me out. So when we as pilots experience a sudden decompression at altitude. We have a few seconds to get our oxygen masks on. Right. Seconds. I know. Yeah. At 40,000 feet, if we have a sudden cabin pressurization loss, we have roughly six seconds before we pass out. If it's instant, if you, it's, only, you said you only had six seconds? If it's sudden depre- decompression, depressurization, it would be six, about six seconds at 40,000 wow. feet. Wow. That's why that y'all are trying to keep your cool. <laughs> we have masks. So when we put on our masks, these masks are pressurized. They're not just like an oxygen mask where it kind of gives you oxygen. Mm -hmm. It's actually a pressurized mask. That makes sense. I just had never really thought about it before. It's pressurized to keep us from getting embolisms. Nice. So it basically holds our our guts in. Oh, my God. We need that pressure to counter the altitude sickness. Passenger masks, however, are not pressurized. So our guts can come out? Yeah. Well, you you get embolism. Okay. So as we go up and up. We don't have to and fly up, the plane, I guess, so it's okay. As we go up and up, the pressure gets lower, and a simple pressurized mask won't keep the nitrogen in the body anymore, though. Oh, yeah. So so, so eventually, we need a spacesuit. So y'all's masks look more like, say, like a, what a fighter pilot would wear yes. versus like what drops down for passengers? Yes. yes. Interesting. I and never thought, I just kind of... And it Never has an about it and it has an expandable rubber mechanism on the back that holds it very tightly, tightly to our head. face, so very smart. tightly. Yes, that's so interesting. So now spacesuits maybe make sense because right. eventually that mask won't help either. Right, because then your body our just body is, is reacting. Exposed. Correct. So the other problem with high altitude is the temperature. Yeah. Freezing. The little boy got frostbite and he didn't even go up that high. He went up to like 8,000 feet. So for each 1,000 feet that we go up into the sky, we lose about 3.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 2 degrees centigrade. That amount, that what we call the adiabatic lapse rate, that varies with outside temperature and relative humidity. But... Right, because there's other factors with weather. But it it doesn't really matter because at around 35,000 feet, the temperature normally lays about Minus 50 to minus 55 degrees centigrade. Well, up there you have Which is around minus 60 to around minus 70 Fahrenheit. So if you're brave enough to expose your body to the elements that we talked about so far... I don't think I am You'd be dying of hypoxia. 
embolism while freezing to death. Is that bravery? I don't. I think that might be stupidity. It's almost like that when we fly, there's this well-engineered aluminum tube that exists between us and certain death. You got any questions about the physiology? No. I think it's all things that I've learned before in like school. I just haven't really been reminded of them in a while. So going back to the Nigerian man who fell into the English garden yeah. on a rare on one of the rare sunny days in London, the body of the man was intact, like we said, mostly because he was frozen. And this was one of the planes that had, because it's a modern one, it has the cover and everything. Oh, yeah. And he was still frozen. So, so have a look at this cool looking think, jet. Is that the one that he fell out of? No, this is a 707. It's pretty. It is pretty, isn't it? Why are the... It's one of the first jets in the jet age. From the age of 10, Ramirez wanted to leave Cuba. He got the idea to stow away from his friend Jorge, who was a year younger than him. Together, they staked out Havana Airport. When was this? This is in 1969. Okay. The only airline that was suitable was Iberia, which is the flag airline for Spain. Okay. I was going to ask. Because the rest of the airplanes that were coming in and out of Cuba were going to other communist countries. Oh. And this was like the only one, really. Right. It was going to Spain from Cuba. So, quote, if we'd landed there, they'd have sent us right back. Mm. Maybe in the same wheel well. Which is obviously a joke about the communists, but... Right. They're just being... They're like... Yeah. They're not going to treat us well. Right. Right. So they decided to go to Spain. They watched carefully, and they found an Iberia Airlines flight from Madrid that landed every Tuesday morning, refueled, and departed back to Madrid on Tuesday evening. Huh. This guy's 10 years old. They're, They're really being smart about this, which I appreciate. On June 3rd, 1969... Ramirez and Perez waited outside the perimeter fence. Ramirez carried a rope, a torch, and cotton balls to stuff in his ears. This kid is my hero. The DCA. I love the preparation. If you're going to be stupid, at least prepare for the issues that could happen. The DC-8, which they're going to apparently stow away in. It's a very big airplane. How many passengers would you say that fit? Uh, like, what would you compare it to I would to say today? it's about 200 passengers. Okay. I would compare it to the size of, like, a larger 737. Okay. But it's big. It's still big. Yeah, it's not I a mean, wide it, body. It makes cross-Atlantic oh, trips. Yeah. Yes. So it's got to be big enough for that. As the DC-8 started to taxi toward the runway... As it was Ramiria, Ramirez and Perez jumped the fence. <gasps> It's going to be like modern jumping the rails. So Perez. Oh, my God. So Perez, Ramirez's friend, he started to have second thoughts. And Ramirez remembers half dragging him to the plane. (laughs) They approached from the rear. Perez entered the left wheel well and Ramirez the right. Oh, so they weren't even get to hang out. I mean, it's smart. How would you fit? Yeah, two two people, people. Right. The plane took off. Quote, when the plane got in the air, the compartment started opening up to let the wheels come inside. I was hanging on with my fingertips to the edge of the compartment and being blown sideways by the wind. This is when Perez fell out. Oh. He was found alive on the runway. No way. And he was imprisoned in Cuba. Oh, bud. His friend who almost didn't go. 
right? That, that he was had to his drag. Friend. Yep. Oh god. But as the wheels came up, did he even know that his friend had fallen, or did he not know until he no, landed? He his know. friend didn't come out. Oh, but as man. the wheels came up, Ramirez got a foothold, which stopped him from falling out of the plane. Wow. But now he faced a new problem: the landing gear. "Quote: It was crushing me. Yeah. And I was pushing out at the wheel, and it was pushing me back in." It's a he machine. He continued. It's a machine. It's You're hydraulically driven. You cannot stop fight it. it. Luckily, the wheels relieved for a second, and then continued closing giving him just enough time to reposition his body before the wow. compartment was shut tight. Because now we have gear doors that cover the whole thing. It was completely black wow. and deafening. Oh, man. Here's his quote. You became part of the noise. It made me shake. I put some cotton wool in my ears, but it didn't help. When you become the noise, it, it's beyond comprehension. He, I would be having like a panic attack if I was him just from the noise alone, much less like, imagine this is how you find out you're claustrophobic. Oh, my God. So he wedged himself into the corner of the compartment and, quote, felt overjoyed. I was content because I had made it. Wow. How long is the flight? Long. I figured it was going to be long. So he leaned against the tires, which were hot to the touch, but they cooled down really quickly and the and the temperature in the wheel well compartment plunged well below zero. Oh. Quote, it was very, very freezing, he said. And I was shivering really? and shaking. Oh, because also it doesn't exactly get cold in Cuba as far as I'm aware. No, I mean, he probably didn't. Have I've a never jacket. been, but considering where it's located geographically on the planet. No, it never wait, gets. It does he get even cold. have winter clothes? No. I was like, oh, he's prepared. He's covered his ears. And he's like, that didn't even help. I have a rope, which is like, maybe that'll help me later. But I now he's got to worry about so many other things. So he lost consciousness. From the cold? From the cold and from, I'm sure, from hypoxia. But he doesn't remember. But he does remember that eight hours later and a whole ocean away, his next memory was waking up underneath the plane... And then he blacked out again. Like on the ground? Yep. <gasps> the paramedics were called and the staff carried him into the airport and left him on the ground because they thought he was dead. Wow. He didn't have a, he didn't have a heartbeat. No way. But then he came too. I saw people around me and the room was moving around like I was dizzy, he said. Everything was moving. The walls were moving and the lights were moving side to side. Wow. He spent the next 52 days recovering in the <gasps> hospital. Holy shit. He was, an, he was an international media sensation. Reporters from the New York Times and Reader's Digest visited him. Back in Cuba, Castro was really angry. Yeah, I Quote, was just thinking about his friend. Castro too. talked to my father. No he way. Said, he said, I don't have any issues with you guys. The one I want to get my hands on is your son. <gasps> That's scary. And it was because he felt, Castro felt embarrassed. Yeah, because somebody left. Right. At first, he was unable to hear anything. That does not surprise me and staff, at all. And the staff had to communicate with him using a chalkboard. Oh. But after about a month, his hearing started to return. Incredibly, yeah. I'm sure he suffered no long-term consequences. No way. He didn't like lose a finger from frostbite or have nope. ringing in his ears. That's crazy to me. Ramirez, who's a devout Christian, believed that divine intervention saved his life. Quote, God put his hands on me, he said. 
but he has only one regret. After me in Cuba, a lot of youngsters tried to do what I did, and most of them died. That sucks. And I'm sure he feels a lot of guilt, too. It's almost like a survivor's guilt thing with the oh, definitely. with the kids who tried it after him and, and also his, his friend. friend. Like, he's the only one that it was successful for. And I don't know about the divine intervention thing, but... So I'll push back against divine intervention. I don't believe it was divine intervention. We kind of have an idea of why he lived. So okay. let's go through that. There's a scientist named uh, Stephen Verano, and he's the world's leading expert on wheel well stowaways. <laughs> How did he get his uh, expertise? I don't know. That but has he, to be a self-given expertise, right? Because it's not he like... He probably studied it. The and, expertise yeah. was handed down from no, the he OG go to, person. He didn't dead. go to class. He didn't go exactly. like, I've got a master's in wheels well like, stowaways. No. I am interested in this. And then he made himself an expert. Correct. That's so... so I find that kind of shit so cool. So he proposed a theory in 1996, and he wrote a paper about it to the Federal Aviation Administration. Yeah. Quote, the body's core temperature can fall to 27C. A healthy body temperature is between 36.1 and 37C, mm-hmm. or even lower. So when the plane lands, a gradual rewarming occurs along with reoxygenization. If the individual is so fortunate as to avoid brain damage or death from the hypoxia and hypothermia, cardiac arrest or failure on rewarming, or severe neurovascular decompression sickness, some prog- progressive recovery of consciousness occurs. You know what this reminds me of? Those frogs that freeze themselves in the winter. Yes. And then people were doing research about it, trying to figure out if humans could do this. And because these frogs, you, you, you led see right into it. So listen to this. In 2011, 13 Danish teenagers and two teachers were on a boat that capsized in an icy fjord during a school trip. Yeah, I mean, fjord. It's uh, fun to say. In Denmark. everyone at home listening along, say it. Fjord in Denmark. Denmark's one, not as fun to say. One of the teachers and some of the students were able to swim to shore and alert authorities. Although the other teacher was found dead in the fjord. Fjord. Yeah. By the time the first responders arrived on the scene, 103 minutes later, because they're in the middle of nowhere, right? Seven of the teenagers were unconscious, floating in minus two sea water. <gasps> In the two hours it took for them to be pulled from the water from the fjord and flown to the hospital, their hearts all stopped beating. Wow. They had an average internal body temperature of just 18 degrees centigrade. Very cold. They were all clinically dead. But at a hospital in Copenhagen, doctors warmed the teenager's blood by 1C every 10 minutes back up to 36C using a special oxygenation and warming Mm -hmm. machine, Mm -hmm. which removes blood from the body, oxygenates it, and then pumps it back into a sedated person's body. Almost like what they do for dialysis. Yeah. So the process means the blood bypasses the heart and lungs, allowing the heart and lungs to heal. After the teenagers were rewarmed, they were transferred to the intensive care unit where they remained deeply sedated on ventilators before gradually being weaned off the machines all seven (gasps) regained consciousness although one student experienced severe physical and cognitive damage the other six experienced only mild brain damage 
but were able to lead relatively normal lives, even returning to school. That's amazing. Seven out of seven lived. Yeah. So we know exactly. Why this guy's okay. Why he's okay. Well, you know what that makes me immediately want to know? Our first guy, was he alive until he hit the ground? That's a great question. Was he alive? Because he could have been unconscious. He could have totally been unconscious. Or not, uh, maybe his heart not even. Not even beating. Beating, but he could have come back. Absolutely. So these students have studied and passed exams, but perhaps at a lower level. They are not precisely. Would you rather that than the alternative though? Oh, totally. Especially their families? So they self-admit. They say, I don't function like I used to. Of course not. But they're alive. Right. So it's not exactly like to the point where people, where science fiction wants it to be, which is like, I'm going to freeze my head and my body until a time in the future where humans can live forever and you're never going to come back the same. At no, least it's not like that. As of now. Right. So basically, if you get you near frozen... you could come back very... Potentially very different. At least one person had serious issues. Yes. So it's interesting that as the oxygen levels go down and the temperature levels go down it kind of almost puts your body into a hibernation state. I yeah. say hibernation in, in air quotes. So that being said, we know, the why, we know the physiology of why people live or die in a wheel well. That's like the, the physics, the atmospheric stuff, the physiological stuff. But if you survive the elements, the question is much more, dare I say, mechanical yes. than that. And understanding the basic mechanisms behind the operation of landing gear could increase your chances of survival to a high degree of course because if you know how it's going to fold in on itself you understand where you need to be landing gear in modern aircraft consists of four main components which is the wheel tire and brake assembly okay so that's like the bottom part where you see the wheel that's called the truck and then above that is the strut assembly that's the metal shaft that attaches to the wing from the bottom right then the retraction and extension mechanisms, mm-hmm. which include the hydraulic lines, actuators, all those. And then the last component are the doors. Yeah. Each of those components represents a risk to a human who is dumb enough to stow away in a wheel well. Yeah. The truck assembly obviously presents some hazards, burning, crushing. The brakes on the Rubbing truck. raw. The brakes. Oh, yeah. The brakes on the truck assembly can reach 300 C even before takeoff. So just taxiing to the runway, we have to use brakes consistently. Yeah. That can heat them up. You burn. You burn. Yeah. It could cook you. So if you're too close to that, you're cooked. That's the actual like wheel and axle part. It's like the wheel. Yep. Yep. Not even, I wasn't even thinking about the brakes, but just the fact that they have to spin so fast. Yes. You get one shoelace caught in that wheel. You're done. I agree. You're so there in. is a mechanism as the gear goes into the well to keep the wheel from spinning while it's in the well. And that's called a snubber. It's a it's essentially just a, a, a hydraulic burst that tells okay. the brakes to go ahead and stop stop it. it. Yeah. Yes. Until the snubber is actuated, a spinning bulk of rubber that easily is hot and so. Let's imagine you're on a flight that's shorter than three hours. That could actually provide warmth for you. That's true, because right? eventually it will cool down. Like 
our last guy we heard. But the strut mechanism doesn't provide you with any potential warmth or anything. That's the part that retracts and presents a crushing hazard, but more ominously, a shearing hazard because of the way the parts right. interact with each other. Um, yeah, but, you're gonna get you that. That's you get why your fingers. The twelve-year-old almost had like had his shoulder bone exposed. Yeah, got crushed. So she, like scraped off. The most ominous part, however, are the gear doors. There is oh, yeah. an inner and outer gear door. The outer gear door is attached to the strut and seals up under the wing. Okay. You can't really do much with that. It's gonna keep the it, aerodynamics, but you can't hold right. on to it or anything because it's attached. Mm-hmm. But the inner door presents a potential safe spot for a stowaway, quote unquote. Okay. A place to hide. Mm-hmm. So the inner gear door hides a pretty large bay where there is little to no interference and somebody could hide under there quite easily should the landing gear be in the down position as right. one would find it when they're on the ground. When they would need to get in. Yeah. So if you climb up over top of the inner gear door, mm-hmm. there's tons of space in there. Hmm. Well, that's where the truck goes. Oh. It presents to you like a false sense of, oh, wow, I can really hide in here. It, and But it tricks you. It tricks you. Listeners couldn't see, but when you said safe space, you did air quotes with your fingers. <laughs> yes. However, it's very false sense as the gear doors open quite aggressively and dump the hidden occupants out of the airframe on takeoff or, in the case of the stowaway in the 787, on landing. The very vast majority is also taken up by, like we said, those huge hot trucks as they're retracted. So if you manage to hold on, you're probably going to get crushed or cooked. Yeah. So I'm going to show you... Oh. I'm going to show you a gear retraction (gasps) so you can see... Like a video? Yep. I'm going to show you a little video. and This will be posted to the uh, Instagram. I'm going to show you a little video of a gear retraction. Yeah. You showed me that video. I had to lean away from my mic to watch it, but it does look like a nice little cubby to hide. You could maybe, if you were little, squeeze in with the truck, but I really think they... The people who make airplanes are about efficiency, so they're not going to leave room for no reason no they're not going to leave almost zero room in there and i think it would have to be one of those extremely rare cases like in episode five for that to come open and somebody to not fall out so stowing away in air in airplane landing gear is pretty dangerous business and like i said in the beginning it's probably suicidal 80 percent of all people who try it over the years, have ended up dead. Num percentage doesn't surprise me, and I bet a lot of the twenty percent are failures. I think these ones we hear about that you've been telling me about. I mean, some of them aren't successes, or they're successes with extreme injury. But I bet a lot of those people kind of like our Cuban friend. So he didn't Cuba die. He can't, but. He didn't succeed either. He just kind of fell out right as it started. Right. So I feel like that's probably a lot of the 20%. So you saw the gear? Yeah. Now you know why he fell out. Yeah. Because he's sitting up inside of there and the inner gear door opens up and he can't hold on. Right. The other guy, he's he almost falls out, but he holds on to the inner gear door. And as the wheel comes up, mm-hmm. he gets on top of it. Yeah. He almost gets crushed. Crushed, yeah. 
and then there's just a, a quick little like boom he goes from the, the hydraulics and it gives him a second to go to the side. But he almost died because he got crushed. But who lives and who dies? It is dumb luck. While most people die, some live. Right. Let's cover some interesting other events. Okay. Just real quick. So in August 2004, a stowaway got on an Air France 747 in Papa T. Tahiti. Ugh, Air France. Sorry. He was trying. I know. He was trying to get to France, but he was found after their first stop in L.A. Okay. He survived at 38,000 feet, but when found in L.A., his body temperature had dropped to 79 degrees Fahrenheit, 26 C, and he was hospitalized. He told the hospital staff that his main motive behind him trying to travel to France was to shake hands with Zindine Zidane, a soccer player. Sir, I think we need to talk about priorities. (laughs) (laughs) Is that really worth your life? To shake hands with a soccer player? Yeah. In December 2002, a man survived the flight from Havana to Montreal. He was seeking refugee status and he lived and he was granted refugee status. The majority of stowaways come from Cuba. Yeah. So in 2007, a guy hopped in the wheel well from Perm, which is in Russia, Mm -hmm. about two hour flight to Moscow. He lived, but he had severe frostbite and he was permanently disabled. Yeah, because of the brain stuff. Yeah. In November. Hypoxia? Hypoxia. Hypoxia. Yep. So in, that sounds like a kind of a good girl's name if it wasn't associated. Hypoxia. Sounds like a nice. Uh, that is a good like, name. It's like a good name. It's like a good superhero <laughs> name too. Oh, oh, oh. And here to save the day, Captain Hypoxia. <laughs> exactly. I love it. So in November 2010, here's a strange one. Delvante Tisdale, a man from Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. He stowed away in the wheel well of a 737 on a flight from Charlotte to Boston. Okay. Why? I take the train, dude. Dry, ride in a car. I don't know. Like these other ones where Buy it's a, been like refugees, it's dude, made a little more sense. The, I know. The shaking the soccer player's hand was idiotic, but he at least had a reason. Does this guy have a reason? Did he? We don't know because the inner gear, the inner gear door got him. He oh. fell to his death oh. gear extension and in going into Boston. He wa- They think that he was alive when he when fell. When he fell. Oh. He was s- yeah. sitting on the inner gear door. Yeah. I'll tell you, that inner gear door gets you. He didn't have friends or family that like police or FBI liked to talk I to probably, to figure it out. I could have found, probably figured it out, but I just didn't do that much research on it. But there's people, though, that don't have people. Oh, oh totally. So Absolutely. It's like, Maybe they could ask their coworkers, but if he's a private person, there could be absolutely no answers. So in 2014, a famous case made the news in the U.S. A mm-hmm. 15-year-old stowaway, Yahya Abdi, I've heard that name before. Climbed over a fence at San Jose Airport in California and stowed away on and stowed away on a flight to Hawaii. Oh. He hopped in the gear bay of a of an American Airlines 767 in San Jose, and he was discovered alive in Kona. Wow. That's a six-hour flight, right? That's a six-hour flight. That's pretty long. He was reportedly trying to get back to his mother who was in Somalia. Oh, that hurts my heart. No, I'm saying, how, why was he in America to begin with? I'm not sure. No, okay. I'm not really sure. So so it sounds like to me, if you're going to stow away in the wheel well of a plane, you need to be a young teen. 
I think those are the people who survive. Those I are think the people because who survive. They're small. They're small and yeah. nimble, and and your young brain is much going to be much more uh, flexible exactly. and whatever than an older person. So let's look at some stats. So according to the FAA, from 1947 to February of 2020, 128 people around the world that we know of attempted to stow away in the wheel wow. well of aircraft. 76% of them died. Yeah. And these are the ones we me. know about. Because think about somebody stowing away and then falling out over a remote area at night. And then they may find a body, but m- maybe. Maybe. What if it's over water? Right. And how many people have fallen out over water? I can think of so many airports that I fly into continuously that are over water. That I put the gear out over water. Yeah. That Boston. That's a great example. Right. JFK. JFK. Yep. LaGuardia. Any coast. Almost one? Dublin. Yeah. 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 So wow. we don't really know. Yeah, it could be It could three be times significantly higher than that, yes. But here's something interesting. Every known wheel well stowaway has been male. Really? Every single one. This is proof that women are smarter than men. I wasn't gonna say it, but I'm glad you said it. I, I'll just <laughs> I'll stay. I'll say it. I don't I'm not shy about that. Although a Cuban woman did ship herself to the U.S., but she did it in a pressurized hold of a cargo plane from the Bahamas in 2014. The youngest documented case involved a boy of just nine. No way. Yep. I bet he fit real well and comfy. And, and the vastest majority are male adults under 30. And very few involve why? domestic flights. I wonder if that just has something to do with like, I want to get away from my life and I don't know what to do because, do you know? I would guess that that you've just touched on something that's that's important, right? They're young. They're unhappy. Mm -hmm. They don't have resources. It's it's kind of interesting just to think about the... The, that demographic. That's why I brought the demographic up. It's yeah. very interesting that it's never been a female. That is so interesting. Why? Anyway, let's bring it our around. our skirts would, and our heels would get caught up in the wheel. How are you going to run across the, air, air, at the airport ramp in heels? Come I on. know. That's why. That is why. Okay. So let's bring this back around and wrap it up, okay? The identity of the man who fell out of the 787. Oh, my gosh. It was never found. No. Despite an extensive and exhaustive search. And you said his body was pretty years. intact. They so know they probably exactly had his who face. He, they know exactly what he looked Dental. like. He was without a doubt from Nairobi, Kenya. Yeah. Because he had the soda bottle that he had bought in. Oh, right. In, right, in, right. In Nairobi. Yeah. And other evidence that he was from Kenya. But they went to Nairobi and they put posters up and they looked at Mm -hmm. everything. They even looked at this footage from the airport. Never found anything. No way. So what they think is the guy secreted himself across the ramp at night, Mm. climbed into the wheel well, waited till morning. Morning. That's what they think. That makes sense to me too. That, that That he just didn't show up on camera because he slipped through the fence and... Yeah. Yeah. So he was buried in a cemetery in that North London suburb. No way. Where his body fell because they couldn't find his family. I still feel very bad for the woman in the yard. I And I remember you saying probably forever. kids I mean, were just there. I'm so glad the kids weren't in the yard anymore. I mean, I can't imagine the PTSD. But the late, 
it must have felt like a nightmare. You're in your yard with your eyes closed, sunbathing. You open your eyes to a loud noise. To this horror show. Yes. And you're covered in blood. Horror show. That's crazy. Well. I really hope she went to therapy. (laughs) Unfortunately, a lot of Wheelwell stowaways are unidentified. It's not because. the reasons that we discussed. It's the reasons we discussed. It's not because we can't identify what they look like. It's because we simply can't figure out who they are. Maybe they're loners. They're unhappy with their lives. I mean, this is a demographic we can't measure, but you're probably right. Yeah. It's these people that don't have they become somebody to care for them they i feel they have like parents I hear but a, then they've left and then they've right. become essentially like a loner or a homeless person or um or someone who just travels constantly and doesn't have identifiable roots yeah here's my professional words of advice i want to hear it don't do it <laughs> don't do it, it but if you're gonna do it be absolutely a suicidal it is it really is but I think this is why people do it is because they these are the people who believe they literally don't have a life have worth living option. anymore. Yes, who who don't who believe they don't have another option. So, I mean, or I understand it, but don't care if anybody they listening die. to this. Don't try it. Don't think you could do it. Yeah. Don't think that you would live. There's no you're like not special. You're no, special. There's for no other ideation reasons. that you're like, oh, I could do that, or mm-hmm. I know the mechanism. That that is not anywhere. That is not anywhere going to work out. Not realistic. 100% guarantee not realistic and not going to work out. So anyway. Wow. I have way too many sources to list. This was like 50 different newspaper articles. Yeah, yeah, From like going back from like the 20s all the way up to like 2019. So it was a long way. You've been writing this for a while. And... I could have written about 20 more pages about really? this. I tried to just highlight the like most compelling or mysterious yeah. stories, but there are so many that are just very basic and very straightforward. Right. This is now everyone who's watched this episode, your deep dive tonight when you can't sleep is going to be yeah, real well, stowaways. Exactly. So I definitely used um, Wikipedia. Send us your favorite wheel well stowaway story on Instagram. There you go. I went to Wikipedia and there's a huge list on Wikipedia of every known wheel well stowaway. Interesting. That's associated with many, many articles. Wikipedia is a great place for an internet deep dive. It's a great place to start with sources, right? So then I can go in there and read all the rest of it. But do you have any more thoughts? I think I said all my thoughts. Honestly, because I I think I understand at least some of the reasons why these people would do this or the list of things that could happen in their life to get them to a point of helplessness to feel like this is their only option. But there has to be a level of non-education here because... I know. I think this is is very... um, These people... their only reference is Hollywood. It's very fantastical. Agreed. Exactly. It is. It is like, that would be the reference. It would be like Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. I saw a movie where this person did this or whatever. Or you, you see look that in back like and you, you go. in action movies all the time. Or you look back and you go, oh, this Ramirez person lived. I can live too. Right. Without like, looking into the fact that 80% of people don't. Correct. 80% of people do not live. And I do need to mention that the statistics are skewed because in the beginning, when we had airplanes that didn't fly as high, more we, people lived. We had 
a bunch of people who lived. Well, I feel like those almost belong in two different charts. They probably do. In the jet age, very few people live. Yes. We're probably, if you take corrected for those people that were in the early days. It might be more. It's probably like 90% people die. Yeah. Wow. And the ones that live, like we said, have long-term brain damage. They're never the same. Physical disabilities. Cause, so if you live, it's not like you, you get out on the other end and you wipe your forehead and you go, whew, I made it. No. No. You are going to spend six months in a hospital right, right. if you live and then you will be permanently disabled in some way. Also. Almost certainly. I wonder how many people were found like our Cuban friend and could have been brought back like people in the lake, but because they didn't have a pulse. Right. They just got So this is where I'm for this dead. is this is and like I said before this is where I push back about divine intervention theory because one There's person science. lives but all the rest of the people die that Well that's what I said it's, it's like pretty random. It's the nature of probability. So that's kind of the wrap up. I I argue with the divine intervention theory. I I think that that is nonsense and we've just looked at all the physiological facts and all the reasons that people can and do live and all the reasons obviously why people die yeah so i left out a lot of graphic stuff so i talked about shearing and there are people with that that don't live through the shear portion and so they lose body parts and are obviously fall out of the wheel well dead yeah um without heads you're working on a car what are your thumb got scraped down to the bone yeah and that was like not that's just one thumb and you were hurting and it was bothering you for yes. a month. Yes. Oh my God, I can't even imagine how horrific of an experience that would be. A shearing death. I mean, let's just It yeah. like makes so my I stomach drop. So I didn't cover those very graphic ones, but it doesn't surprise crushed me. people come out of wheel wells or they rather don't come out of wheel wells and we find them crushed inside the wheel well stuck stuck to all the mechanisms this was the case we covered uh 747 Mm -hmm. it landed on thursday they found a body crushed into the wheel well on sunday so it's like it didn't fall out because it was crushed so deeply into the mechanisms so that just tells you how little space there is in there there is very little space and there is hydraulics and those huge mechanisms that support these airplanes and especially in the case of a 747 a million pound airplane right you're not going to be able to push back on that hydraulic system you're you're a bag of meat and bones for this Mm -hmm. you basically like yeah it's like you're a bug you're a bug you're squishing a bug that's Mm -hmm. it and you know people oh i could no you couldn't just don't (laughs) it's not a movie right recently uh a person decided to, I guess, complete suicide mm-hmm. by jumping into a jet engine. Yeah. The front of a jet engine. All of these things are designed to push this very, very, very heavy airplane through the air. Mm-hmm. It is very unforgiving. Yeah. There is not a chance that you're going to live. No. But when you're talking about heavy machinery, farm equipment and right. cranes and airplanes and things that are very heavy humans are operators they do not stand a chance against those things so you know it's something that we kind of have to think about a little bit well cars too are designed with human safety in mind yes from the outside as well correct they are 
So it's just planes are designed with human safety inside, and that is it. It is designed to fly outside, and that is it. Um, I think I need a. Um, I've had my coffee and my smoothie. I think I need a cocktail now after all of that. That's pretty. Uh, well, it's a rainy day, so it's great. Maybe news. some. Uh, maybe hot toddy. Yeah, we can go ahead and have a cocktail on this rainy day because I don't think we're going anywhere. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. I don't know how I feel now. But that was really interesting, at least. Well, let's do it again soon. Okay. It's a date. It's a date.